0: My name is Optimus Prime.
2: I am the futurist of war. Resistance is futile.
0: Yes, Jedi's strength flows from the Force. But beware of the dark side.
2: I'm
0: sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.
3: This is uh, Reach Cold, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. Happy Father's Day, everybody. This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Trex in Sci-Fi. This is episode 639 for Sunday, June 18th, 2017. I'm back this week with another classic science fiction movie. Today's movie is the first post-World War II science fiction movie made in Hollywood. It's Rocketship XM. Before I get into today's podcast, I want to thank Rico for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. With that said, I'm going to play the main title theme to Rocketship XM. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. I'll be back with some movie information, and then we'll get into the movie. Rocketship XM is an American science fiction movie directed and produced by Kurt Newman. The screenplay was written by Orville Hampton, Kurt Newman, and Dalton Trumbo. It was produced by Lippert Studios. Rocketship XM was released May 26, 1950, and has a running time of 78 minutes. And here's the cast, starting at the top. Lloyd Bridges as Colonel Floyd Graham. Usa Mason as Dr. Lisa Van Horn, John Emery as Dr. Carl Ekstrom, Noah Berry Jr. as Major William Corrigan, Hugh O'Brien as Harry Chamberlain, and Morris Ankrum as Dr. Ralph Fleming. And that's it for movie information. Now let's get into the movie. Today's movie starts at the White Sands Proving Grounds in New Mexico. Dr. Ralph Fleming is holding a press conference where he will brief a room of reporters on the first manned expedition to the moon.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, every news service and newspaper is represented here tonight. And for your cooperation in the past when complete secrecy was vital, we are grateful. However, I must make something clear. Although ours is not strictly a military project... A great deal of our research and knowledge falls within security regulations. Therefore, I must insist that you reveal only such information as appears in the authorized press release, which will be handed to you later. I'm sure that we can all recall the wild tales of the flying discs, flying saucers, spaceships, and who knows what, imaginative creations. The press is to be commended for discounting, in most instances, these premature rumors and so helping to minimize public apprehension. Tonight you are invited here to witness an important event. You are all familiar with our previous work in sending robot missiles into space. That phase is at an end. Tonight we will launch the first manned spaceship, the RXM, Rocket Ship Expedition Moon. X minus 15 minutes. Forever, man has dreamed of visiting the nearest of heavenly bodies. Some for adventurous, fantastic reasons. Others like ourselves because they visualized a successful lunar expedition as the first step toward practical interplanetary travel. Today, there is even the possibility that an unassailable base could be established on the moon control world peace. I will now introduce to you the head of this expedition and his crew. Dr. Carl Ekstrom, designer of the RXM... ...and as you all know, one of the most brilliant physicists of the day... ...and an old friend. Dr. Lisa Van Horn, his most able co-worker and assistant... ...doctor of chemistry. Colonel Floyd Graham, pilot... Mr. Harry Chamberlain, astronomer of the Mount Wilson and Palomar Observatory staffs. Mr. Chamberlain will serve as navigator. Major William Corrigan, engineer.
3: After the mission briefing, reporters interview the crew before they board the rocket ship.
0: Chamberlain. How do you fit into the picture? Do you uh, do you have any family? No, I, I've been living on mountaintops. I'm afraid it's too lonely for such opportunities. <laughs> Have you ever done any flying? Only as a passenger. But uh, you're the navigator. But you must realize that inter-solar flight requires far more
1: exact and precise navigation than any earthbound voyage. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's incidental. It is? Yes. You see, as an astronomer, I can appreciate the perfect observation conditions on a body without atmosphere, such as our moon. Do you realize that within one oh, hour. I've got about 800 head grazing down there. I bought my ranch with the flight pay I saved up during the war. Mm-hmm. How does your wife feel about you going? well she's a texan too and well she knows that when a texas man makes up his mind to do something that's it period <laughs> See, i wish you fellas could have seen her face so when i walked in and told her in the strictest confidence of course honey i'm going to the moon uh, what did she say well she she looked at me for a second and then said what for they ain't got nothing there that we don't have more of right here in texas <laughs> we've already made the trip a hundred times
2: what In the training room. (laughs) I've done more flying this last month than I've done over a hundred missions. And believe me, this is the hottest crew I've ever worked with. Especially in the brains department. Yeah, very attractive too. Yeah, I agree. But uh, you can quote me on this. Unless you look like a test tube or a chemical formula, you haven't got a chance.
4: From the woman's angle, Dr. Van Horn, how does it feel making a trip like this alone with four men? To tell you the truth, I, I never thought much about it. Well, tell me, Doctor, is there any specific reason why one member of the crew should be a woman? I'd like to
5: answer that, if I may. Certainly. The reason Miss Van Horn is making this trip is because of her pioneering research with monatomic hydrogen. It enabled her to develop the first rocket fuel, powerful and concentrated enough to make this flight possible.
3: The crew boards rocket ship XM. They strap themselves in and blast off. Once they reach escape velocity they jettison the first stage of the rocket ship. After jettisoning the first stage of the rocket ship, it becomes a runaway and almost collides with the rocket ship.
5: Prepare to jettison tail section.
1: Start the front assembly motors. only 40 seconds supply of fuel left.
2: Hold on tight, everybody. You ready? Ready. Go.
5: Reduce power. a little too close for comfort.
1: Yeah, we might be in a vacuum but I sure felt the wind of that one.
3: The crew begins to settle in for their journey. Major Corrigan gets a little upset when Henry Chamberlain tells him that Texas is a mere speck from outer space.
1: I think I like all this dark. Well, it, it might be alright for sleeping but for a steady diet uh uh-uh. uh. I used to hate the daylight because I couldn't work but up here in this eternal night it's a different feeling. <laughs> Fella can get used to anything, I guess, if he has to. I remember when I was first assigned to jets. I said to the colonel, Colonel, I joined this man's Air Force to fly an airplane. But nobody's going to hitch me to no Roman candle. Ah, Now I'm sitting right inside of one. (laughs) Boy, oh boy. Ain't she pretty? You see Texas? No, it's in the other hemisphere. Even so, from this distance, it would only appear a mere speck. A mere speck? Texas a mere speck? Listen, my friend, I, I'm broad minded. I've been around people, but don't you ever let any other Texan hear you say that.
3: A mere speck. Colonel Graham tries to get to know Dr. Van Horn a little better.
2: Now, don't get mad at me, but can't you ever relax? All these weeks, months, I've been watching you. Nothing but work, work, work. Well, I've been wondering, how does a girl like you get mixed up in a thing like this in the first place?
4: I suppose you think that women should only cook and and, and sew and bear children?
2: Isn't that enough? There's such a thing as going overboard in the other direction, too, yeah.
3: All of a sudden, the engines stop working, and the rocket ship begins to drift.
1: After 14 hours and 12 minutes, we've covered 112,000 miles. We'll come within the gravitational attraction of the moon. Oh,
5: that's not important right now. Without power, we're helplessly suspended in space. Even if we were already within the gravitational reach, we'd still be unable to make a landing.
2: We need power to land. Checked and double-checked all connections. Primers. Fuel injectors. We can't find a thing wrong.
5: And it must be the fuel mixture.
3: Dr. Ekstrom and Dr. Van Horn recalculate the fuel mixture and come up with two results. Dr. Ekstrom dismisses Dr. Van Horn's calculations as incorrect, and they use his results.
5: At differential 6 over M to the 30th power, the halfway check result is 262,000 to 341,000, both using tangent E, correct?
4: That isn't the result I have.
5: It must be the same. There's an error there.
4: I've made no error, Dr. Ekstrom.
5: I have to say that you've made an error and discard your figures. I'm sorry. Don't be. Surely you're not going to let emotion enter into this.
4: Certainly not.
5: We'll continue computing using my results as a basis. Yes, Doctor.
4: Except that I feel very strongly I should say that we should try both.
5: We can't. To complete either calculation would take six to eight hours. We can't afford the time. It's either one or the other, Doctor Van
4: Horn. But it doesn't have to be. You can't be arbitrary about imposing your will when these people's lives are at stake. Don't you realize that? You speak as calmly as if you were saying, pass the salt. Aren't you human? Are you made of ice? I'm sorry. I
5: apologize. For what? For momentarily being a woman? It's Completely understandable, Miss Van Horn. Now, shall we go
3: ahead? Yes, Doctor. Tangent L9.
4: Tangent
3: L9. While the rocket ship drifts through space, they encounter a meteor storm.
4: Boy,
1: I've been through some pretty heavy flack in my day, but that's the worst I've ever had thrown at me. Heavenly flack. <laughs> Say, maybe somebody don't want us to get where we aim to get. Cheer up, Harry. After what we've been through, we'll get there, all right?
0: Maybe it would have been better if one of them had struck the ship. It would have been sudden.
3: Quick. Dr. Angstrom and Dr. Van Horn have finished their calculations and have a plan to move the chemical tanks and fittings in the rocket ship. Colonel Graham and Major Corrigan enter the engine section of the rocket ship and begin to move the tanks and fittings.
5: Now, your computation?
4: We have to add 12% O3 to A16. Right.
3: 12%
5: O3 to A16. This means we'll have to rearrange some of the fuel tanks and all the connections. I will replace these H tanks with these.
1: The motor room's pressurized. Think you can manage a half-ton tank? Oh, sure. Down on my ranch, I used
2: to throw a little old thousand-pound steer over my shoulder every morning. I'm sure, that wasn't a little
3: old bull you were throwing. Recalculating the fuel mixture and swapping the tanks fixes the problem. Dr. Van Horn is a little unsure about the new fuel mixture. Dr. Ekstrom orders Colonel Graham to engage the engines. The engines fire and their rocket ship careens out of control into deep space. The crew is rendered unconscious due to the rapid acceleration.
4: How
5: long has it been since...
4: I'm afraid we'll
5: never know. How are the others?
4: I think everybody's going to be
5: all
2: right. It must have been days.
4: Fortunately, the engines were turned off. When?
2: I must have turned the levers off when I blacked out. But at what speed? You know the consequences of a body moving with unchecked velocity in free space?
4: Infinite motion.
2: So we made a little detour. Now we gotta double back to that last road sign. Come on, let's go to work.
3: The rocket ship has traveled over 50 million miles while they were unconscious. They wake up days later, 50,000 miles from Mars.
1: I seem to be getting a strong reflection of impulse directly ahead 50,000 miles.
5: That explains
2: it. Explains what? Of course.
5: Give me a chance. I don't quite know how to tell you it so. If I could have even dreamed that a that an incredible set of circumstances, each precisely and exactly timed, would carry us unerringly through space to our most congenial planetary neighbor, Mars, I would Mars. <laughs>
1: No doubt whatsoever, unmistakable. Mars, where
5: do you know?
4: What does it mean, Doctor?
5: It means there are times when a mere scientist has gone as far as he can. When he must pause and observe respectfully while something infinitely greater assumes control. I believe this is one of those times.
4: We shall go on, of course.
5: Our overall fuel consumption was?
4: Forty-two percent.
5: A Martian landing approaching a planet with atmosphere is far easier than the lunar maneuver. Certainly we shall go on. We should be betraying an unprecedented opportunity to do otherwise.
2: And I'd suggest there's a couple of little things we might do. This ship isn't going to land itself, you know.
3: They land on Mars safely and start exploring the next morning. They find the ruins of a Martian civilization destroyed long ago by an atomic war.
5: The mind that conceived this must have been of a high order of intelligence. At least the equal of Earth, perhaps considerably above ours. Do
4: you think that a complex, organized society existed here once?
5: Yes, from all indications, thousands of years ago. I
4: wonder how it happened.
5: There's always the possibility of a meteor. But then it would have created a depression like a moon crater. No, this wasn't caused by a meteor. This is definitely blast effect coupled with intense heat. There's a strong field of radiation over there. You'd better stop. The radioactivity is at the danger level. Ironic, isn't it? The mind of man, wherever you encounter it. of human intellect always diverted to self-destruction. Perhaps the entire surface of the planet is one vast ruin like this. Do you think we ought to stand back to the ship? I agree to that. We're neither prepared nor equipped for any stay here. We have supplies for several days. Let's use this precious time as effectively as we can.
4: I agree with Dr. Ekstrom. Day here is more valuable than years of research on Earth. Well, okay then, let's get going.
3: The crew decides to hold up in a cave overnight. Harry wakes everybody up from their sleep to tell them that he saw some people outside the cave. They go to investigate and find footprints. Major Corrigan and Dr. Ekstrom decide to look for the inhabitants. Major Corrigan and Dr. Ekstrom find a blind woman. She screams out, and they are attacked by a tribe of cavemen. Major Corrigan is killed by a boulder landing on him, and Dr. Ekstrom is killed by a stone axe. Murdering savages.
5: No Floyd. Poor, fear crazed, despairing wretches. Pity them. Pity them.
4: Don't talk anymore.
5: You must get back to Earth. Tell them what we found.
3: Colonel Graham, Dr. Van Horn, and Harry Chamberlain head back to the rocket ship. Harry Chamberlain is injured on the way back to the rocket ship by a rock thrown by a caveman. The three board the rocket ship and blast off. The three make it back to Earth, but do not have enough fuel to make a landing. Colonel Graham contacts Dr. Fleming via the ship's radio and tells him everything that happened on their mission.
2: What's the matter? Everything's worked out so far right in the nose.
4: We haven't got enough fuel for landing. Not even for an approach.
2: But The motors were functioning perfectly before I shut them off.
4: And one tenth capacity. I'm sorry, it's all my
2: fault. Maybe it's only the instruments. It's
4: hopeless. We're lost. Everything is lost. All Dr. Ekstrom's work in vain. Now the world will never know the terrible truth we learned.
2: No. Maybe there's still a chance. We must be close enough for shortwave. Try to contact the base.
4: If we only could. We must report everything. Tell them as much as we can. the mistakes that we made.
2: RxM calling BWS. RxM calling BWS.
3: Colonel Graham, Dr. Van Horn embrace each other as they crash into the Earth. Dr. Fleming talks to a group of reporters about the demise of rocket ship XM and the future of space travel. Dr.
1: Fleming? Yes? The men from the new syndicates are still waiting.
5: All, All right, let them come
0: Dr. Fleming, the pilot and crew of Flight 19 International Airlines observed a strange object falling over Nova Scotia. According to their report, it could have been the RXM. My office has been getting the same story over the wires for hours. We know the RXM has been overdue a long time. Is there any connection, Doctor? As yet, there has been no confirmation, but... Yes, I believe there is a connection then they all perished in the crash. No, two were lost earlier. But the flight must be considered a failure. Failure? Every point of our rocket theory has been established. It has proven that interspace travel is not only possible, but practicable. And it has supplied us with information which may well mean the salvation of our own world. No, gentlemen, the flight of the RXM not a failure. Tomorrow we start construction of RXM two,
3: and that's the end of the movie. Now it's time for some movie trivia. When George Powell announced production of Destination Moon, Lippert Studios rushed Rocketship XM into production to capitalize on Destination Moon advertisement campaign. Rocketship XM would make it to the movie theaters three weeks before Destination Moon. Rocketship XM was shot in just 18 days on a budget of $94,000. The Martian exteriors were shot in Zabriskie Point in Death Valley National Park. When the film was originally released in 1950, the sequences on Mars were tinted red as to impart a sense of the alien red planet into a black and white movie. The musical score by Ferdé Grof Sr. was the first time a theremin was used in a science fiction movie. And that's all I have for trivia. Now it's time for the Star Trek connection. I'm a big Star Trek fan, and I try to find a Star Trek connection in every movie and TV show I watch. I'm afraid to say I couldn't find a Star Trek connection in today's movie. But there is a Battlestar Galactica connection, and it's Lloyd Bridges. He played Commander Kane, commander of the Battlestar Pegasus, in the original Battlestar Galactica TV show. And that's all I have for the Star Trek connection. So here are my comments about today's movie. I watched the 2000 DVD release from Image Entertainment. It's part of the Wade Williams collection. The picture and sound quality are fair at best. Rocketship XM is a good science fiction B-movie. I love it. It's pretty good. It has a great story. Check it out. Four men and a women blast off for the moon, but end up on Mars. They find the ruins of a Martian civilization destroyed by an atomic war and cavemen. The cavemen kill two of their crew, injure another. The three survivors blast off, make it back to Earth, but there's a miscalculation and they run out of fuel and crash and burn in the Earth. That's a great story. The movie was made on the cheap, so there aren't a whole lot of special effects in this movie. I mean they didn't even have spacesuits. All they had were World War II bomber jackets and World War II fighter oxygen masks. That's it. Um but I did like how they colored the scenes on Mars red. That was pretty clever for a cheap special effect. The cast did a great job. Um Noah Berry Jr was great as the Texan. I'm a Texan. I was born in Abilene, Texas, on Dias Air Force Base. So I'm a Texan, and he's my favorite character. If he looks familiar, he was Jim Rockford's dad in the Rockford Files. Lloyd Bridges was great as the Chuck Yeager character. Uh, If you're a certain age, you'll remember him from the TV show Sea Hunt. I never saw Sea Hunt. It was before my time. I only remember Lloyd Bridges as Commander Kane Of the Battlestar Pegasus. I've said it twice. So remember it. Because it will be on the test. Usa Mason. She was good in the movie. I have no clue who she is. This is the only thing I've ever seen her in. And then John Emery. He did a great job as Dr. Ekstrom. I like the scene where he and Dr. Van Horn had the different answers. And he just automatically just dismisses her answers. And says we're using my stuff. It's kind of a dick move. But hey. It is what it is. Um. Hugh O'Brien, he was in the movie. He would later go on to be Wyatt Earp in the Wyatt Earp TV show. He really didn't do a whole lot in the movie. He was just a big lug. And last but not least, my favorite, Morris Ankrum, And he's always in these science fiction B-movies. He always gets the Judge General or mayor part. He's also in The Earth versus the Flying Saucers, Invaders from Mars, uh, Beginning of the End, And the worst, second worst science fiction movie of all time, The Giant Claw. It's second only to Plan 9 from Outer Space. If you're a classic science fiction B-movie fan, this movie is for you. You can pick this movie up on Amazon for five or six bucks. It's really cheap. Or you can watch the full movie on YouTube. Speaking of watching it, there's a Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of this movie on YouTube. Go and watch it. It's lots of fun. Uh rocket ship XM is a solid science fiction B movie and I would recommend it to all science fiction fans on a scale from one to 10. I'll give it a six. And those are my comments about today's movie. That's it for this week's podcast. Before I wrap up this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico again for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Rico will be back next week on the podcast with this summer Skype chat. I'll be back soon with another classic science fiction movie. Until then, everyone take care. This is M5 signing off.
0: at treksinsci forward slash forum or right to Rico today treksf at gmail.com until next time live long and prosper treks in sci-fi let me bring you down and um transmission